0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: And I think to myself again, here's a guy who was not a perfect man by any means, and yet God does not define our lives. On the basis of a few sinful choices. God defines our lives on the basis of how much we will keep turning to Him, repenting, and praying to be used by Him. This is Samson.
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Samson again and again failed to live up to the God-given potential that he had. He selfishly followed his worldly desires and continually drifted away from God. Yet, he always came back. Pastor Gary teaches you today that God will define your life by how often you turn to Him. Is He the one you always go to when life is going good or bad? If not, now is the time to begin implementing that. Train your mind to think of God in all things. Let your victories be His and seek His comfort in your failures. Let Jesus be the Father and friend that He is. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: The first one on the list here is Peter. Gideon's story is found in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to try to go through these as quickly as I can to try to get them all in here. But Gideon, his story is found in Judges chapter 6. Personally, one of my favorite uh, characters in the Bible. And um, in summary, basically, here's his story. The Israelites were under attack by the Midianites. I mentioned Gideon briefly this past Sunday. Um, And so the Israelites being under attack by the Midianites... And the Midianite people practiced what is historically called scorched earth policy. That is to say, when they would come into a country and attack it, they wouldn't just kill people or take people to prisoners of war. They would burn everything down. They'd burn everything down. They would completely destroy it. So they would destroy fields and harvest and any, anything that was uh, vegetative, you know, they would just destroy it completely. And, and so as a result... The Israelites were hiding from the Midianites, and Gideon was one of these guys. He's hiding. The Bible says he is trampling out uh, wheat in a, in a wine press. So he's hiding in a wine press, kind of this, you know, sunken um, uh, hole in the ground, and he's trying to break apart the wheat to get, uh, you know, the, the, to separate the wheat from the chaff. But he's doing it be, hiding in hiding in a wine press because the Midianites are, are going to destroy any, any last remnant of, of wheat that was harvested. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And he's just, he's just you know, It's just an ordinary day for Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And in Judges 6 verse 12, here's what it says. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But, Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So Gideon's first response to when the Lord appears to him is, I'm not qualified. And he says, I'm the least in my family, and my family is the least in the least of the tribes of Israel. So he's a part of the tribe of Manasseh, which was the smallest of the tribes of Israel. And Gideon says, I'm the least of the least of the least. I can't, I can't save Israel. And God basically says to him, no, you can't, but I can through you. So I want you to go and I want you to be used by me. And Gideon does. And he just exercises faith, even though he looks at his own inabilities and he trusts God for what God can do. And God uses him. And I mentioned on Sunday, he starts out with an army of 32,000. And God says, too many, whittle it down. Because God always wants to be glorified through the least. So that man can't take credit for what man has done. And so get rid of all these uh, people in your army. Get rid of these guys. And get it down to a faithful 300. And, and then through a process that God told Gideon, uh, God then defeated the Midianites with an army of 300 Israelites. So that everybody would know this was the hand of God. But Gideon trusted the Lord. And Gideon exercised faith and believed God. And once again, he used a person who saw his limitations, who saw his weaknesses, but who had a willing heart to obey God and to be used by God. The faith lesson for me is is that faith does not require a strong start, just a strong finish. Gideon did not want to do this. He, He did not want to... Which, you know, really... That is a commendable example in and of itself. The people who scare me are the ones who think that they're, that they're eager to help God out. You know, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I was waiting for that. You know, that's not, that's not somebody God can use. Gideon's like, are you really sure you can use me? I'm, I'm really the least among the least among the least. And God's like, you're exactly the kind of person I want to use. Somebody who's not full of himself, but somebody who realizes I don't really have what it takes. No, no, but I can glorify myself through you. And Gideon demonstrated his faith, and God can use weak, reluctant people if we would simply trust him. The next guy on the list here is Barak, and uh, this is not Obama. Uh, this is, uh, is Barak of Judges chapter 4, so that actually precedes the story of Gideon. And I have to be honest with you, if, if I were writing Hebrews, I would not have put this guy on the list. Um, I had to look hard to even understand why he was selected for this honor. I, I think I found it, but, you know, God saw fit to put him in here, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's not that he doesn't deserve to be here. It, it just means we have to look harder at the reason why he is here. And, uh, and so at first glance, I wouldn't have picked this guy, but, you know, the more I, I looked at his story, like, okay, you know, God, there's a reason why you've inserted him. So here's the background. Again, his story is in Judges chapter 4. And in Judges chapter 4, what we find is that Israel is being led by a series of judges. This is before the monarchy, before kings came, and, and even that wasn't God's will, but there were judges. There were people who administered justice in the land, And in Judges chapter 4 we find, it's kind of an anomaly, usually there's a bunch of men who are judges, and we find in Judges chapter 4 that Deborah, a woman, is a judge in in Israel, and she's listed in Judges 4 verse 4 as a prophetess. Now, there were different women named as prophetesses in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Deborah is one, uh, a lady by the name of Huldah is another, in the New Testament you have Anna as a prophetess, you have the four daughters of Philip mentioned as prophetesses. The, the interesting and odd thing about Deborah being mentioned as a prophet, as a, as a judge in, um, in Israel during this time, is that never was a prophet, or for that matter a prophetess, a leader in Israel. You look at different prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Ezekiel. Uh, those prophets uh, were never leaders in Israel. They just were the mouthpiece of God to instruct, you know, the nation with the word of God, to give clarity about what God's intent and God's word is. And so Deborah's listed among the prophets as a prophetess. So why is she leading Israel then in this sense? Since no other time do prophets lead the nation. So what is commonly inferred by most Bible scholars and commentaries is that the reason why in this situation a prophetess is leading, and is isn't a commentary on, on her gender, it just is, again, no prophet or prophetess ever leaded in Israel. They just simply spoke the word of the Lord, but there was always some other leader. The reason why it seems that a prophet, a prophetess is leading Israel at this particular time, sadly, is because no man steps up to fight valiantly for his nation. Because there should have been at least a, a leader who is willing to die for, for the valor of his country, and, and, uh, and there isn't one. And so what happens is Deborah, um, as a place of a prophetess, calls a guy to step up to the plate after 20 years of the Canaanite people. It's a different group. You have all these different peoples. You have the Midianites. You have Perizzites. You have Canaanites. You have parasites and Termites. You have all kinds of ites in the Bible. And so they're attacking Israel constantly. So the, the, the enemy at this time are the Canaanites. And the commander of the Canaanite army is a guy by the name of Sisera. And Deborah, for 20 years, there's no one leading the nation. Nobody's stepping up. Nobody valiant. Nobody willing to fight to defend the honor of the women and the children of the nation. And so Deborah, as this prophetess, goes to Barak, this guy named Barak, and says, God's calling you to step up. I want you to step up, and I want you to fight and fight for the nation. And I'm going to show you when I read to you what he says in response, why it kind of looks a little funny, like, is this guy, should he really be listening to the hall of faith here? But he is, and that's God's word, so I trust him. But Judges 4, verses 6 to 8. So, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of, of Jabin's army, the Canaanites, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, this is his answer. She says, he says, well, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. why you, you know, I could just see, I wouldn't have blamed Deborah if she'd hauled back and just like, let me just, you know, but anyway, so this is what he says. And, and there's a lot of disparaging, you know, ideas about, okay, well m- maybe he just meant you're, you're the prophetess. So I, I'm not going to go unless I have the prophetess with me possibly, or he could just be really weak. I, you know, whichever, take your pick. I don't know, but listen to her response to him, which kind of indicates to me, maybe he's a little weak. She says very well, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman, and so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, so she kind of rebukes him, like not a good answer, Barak, not a good answer, okay, and the glory, the honor for defeating the Canaanites, and Sisera in particular, the commander of the Canaanites, is going to be handed over to a woman, now she doesn't mean herself, what we find out in the rest of the story is she means another woman, and so let me set up the backdrop. So Barak goes, and Deborah says, I'll go with you. I'll go hold your hand. Come on, let's go. And so Barak goes. I'm really working hard at trying to find a good reason that he's in here. And so Barak goes, and he routs the army of the Canaanites, and Sisera, the commander of the Canaanites, flees. And so Barak pursues him, and, uh, and, he, and he pursues him for 20 miles. Well, Sisera ducks into a tent of a Jewish woman by the name of Yael. She's there in the book of Judges. And Yael recognizes him as you're the commander of the Canaanite army. I, I think you're kind of our enemies. And so she says to Sisera, can I serve you some cookies and milk? <laughs> Would, do you have time to stop? I'm not making it up. She gives him some milk and she gives him some food. She goes, do you have, some, do you have time to just have some, some cookies and some milk? He's like, yeah, sure. She goes, why don't, you just, why don't you just make yourself comfortable right here and you just have some cookies and some milk. And so he, he lays down and he takes She says, take a nap, take a nap. And so she feeds him cookies and milk, all right? And he takes a nap. And now Yael, this is the lady. Her name in Hebrew, by the way, means wild goat. (laughs) Keep that in mind. While Sisera is napping, Yael takes a tent peg and a hammer and hammers the guy's head through his temple into the ground. So, n- never take a nap near a wild goat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and by the way, this gives, gives new meaning to the expression, he got hammered. Anyway, <laughs> come on back, listen to me. So, Yael, she's the one who actually kills Sisera, and she gets the honor for killing, for killing the guy by the time that Barack shows up, he's already dead. Barack hasn't done a thing. But anyway, be that as it may, he's still takes 10,000 soldiers and he honors what the word of the Lord is through the prophetess Deborah and he serves the Lord and he fights and so again there are times when you might be reluctant but God uses even the most reluctant people who are just going to trust him and obey him and be used by him all right next guy here in our story is uh who else is on the list samson all right samson this is a complicated guy uh there are reasons why i wonder why he's in here too but you know it gives hope to all of us when you look at these people you could realize not perfect people not perfect people now most of you know the story of samson he is usually if you grew up in church at all he's he's usually you know a children's story they they tame it down in sunday school for kids because it's not you know it's it's a little r-rated um but but Samson is a guy who is also mentioned in the book of Judges. He takes up chapters 13, 14 through 16. He's a man known for his tremendous physical strength, but tremendous moral weakness. Now, by the way, usually, in, on, and back in my day, it was a flannel board, right? But, but usually in the kids' Sunday school classroom and, and on television movies about Samson, he's this ripped guy. He's really buff. He's, you know, he's like really ripped. Okay. I don't think He was. I don't think he was because everybody was curious about the power of his strength. If you're really buff and ripped, nobody's going to be curious. You're going, like, well, of course he can. Of course he can. You know, look at, look at the guy. So nobody ever comments about how he looks. I'm, I'm thinking, and this is not just me, a lot of people think there's probably nothing very extraordinary about his physique because what was extraordinary was his strength. Great physical strength, great moral weakness. Most of you know his story. He was called by God to be one of the judges of Israel. Uh, But he had a weakness for women. And the Bible says that he fell in love with a Philistine woman. He's supposed to defeat the Philistines. He falls in love with a Philistine woman. He has uh, a relationship with a prostitute in Gaza. And then he also falls in love with Delilah. Hey there, Delilah, come on. I mean, you know, you know the story and you know the song. And so Delilah is paid by the Philistines to find the secret of his strength. Now, Samson takes a Nazarite. His mother was unable to conceive children, and and by God's providence, she conceived, and God appeared to his mother and said in advance, he is to be a Nazarite. And a Nazarite was to be someone who avoided anything of the vine, nothing of the grapes, and who never touched uh, a dead body, and who never would cut his hair, because the hair was just a reminder that he was uh, uh, consecrated unto the Lord through a vow. So this was Samson. And from the time he was born, under, living under a Nazarite vow, but he had, you know, this, this weakness, and, and yet God enabled him to physically be, be kind of supernaturally strong. And so the Philistines pay Delilah to find the secret of his strength, and Samson goes through this whole spiel with her, and he, and he deceives her. He says, well, the secret of my strength is, if you, t- if, you know, if you tie me with seven bow strings... Uh, I won't be able to break them. And so she says, really? Okay, Now she's getting paid off by the Philistines. She said, why don't you take a nap? And so he takes a nap. You know, listen, guys, don't take naps. Bad things happen when you take naps. But anyway, and so, so he took a nap. And she ties him with seven bow strings. And then she goes, hey, the Philistines are upon us. And he breaks them all. And she's like, hey, that's not fair. That, you told me that that would be the secret of your strength. He's like, oh, sorry, I was kidding you. What it really is are new ropes. If you tie me with new, fresh ropes, that's a, and then I, I'll be weak. She goes, really? OK, why don't you take a nap? And so he takes a nap. <laughs> and she ties him with seven ropes. Or not seven, but it just says new ropes. And then, he, and then she says, hey, the Philistines are upon us. And he, and he, breaks, up, and he breaks them apart. She goes, hey, that's not fair. You know, you, if you really love me, you wouldn't be doing this. You know, I told you and you're you done. Anything like that? And so he says, he, that's Hebrew. And anyway, so she says, so she says, really, seriously, what's the secret of your strength? And he says, well, the secret of my strength is if you tie my long hair, if you tie it in seven braids using a loom, using a loom, okay, put my hair in a loom and, and make seven braids out of it. Okay. Then, then that's the secret of my strength and, and I will be weak. And so she said, okay, why don't you take a nap? And so he takes a nap. And so, and so as he's taking a nap, she weaves his hair in a loom, okay? And, and then she goes, hey, the Philistines are upon us. And he wakes up, and he still has his strength. Now, listen, by this time, the guy wakes up. He's got a loom on the side of his head. He's got a loom hanging from his hair. Wouldn't you know by now I shouldn't be taking naps? But No. And so the Bible says, actually, at this point, it's in Judges chapter 16, verse 16. It says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. (laughs) I'm not going to comment on that verse. I'm just reading it. And so he says, okay, okay, already, okay. If you cut my hair, I'll be weak. And so she says, why don't you take a nap? And so he takes a nap. And she cuts his hair. I mean, the guy, the guy's all brawn, but not very many brains. And so he takes a nap. She cuts his hair. And and when she says, the Philistines are upon you, Judges 16, verse 20, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, it says, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Listen to this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. Now, the secret of his strength was not in his hair. His hair was a symbol that he belonged to God. And when his hair was severed, he was basically giving permission to declare that my walk with God is severed. And then the Spirit of God left him, and he didn't even know. And he was subdued by by the Philistines. And he was bound. And they poked out his eyes. And they took him to the temple of their god, Dagon. And they chained him between two pillars in the temple. And they demanded that he perform for them. Go ahead. Dance for us. Perform for us. And here he is blind now. I mean, it's the symbolism is incredible with all of this. You know, I mean, listen, you know, compromise eventually costs us. Again, he's a very complicated guy. A weakness for women at times, you know, wasn't really faithful to God, but here he is now chained up between these pillars in the temple of Dagon, the God of the Philistines, and he prays one last time, Lord, could you please give me my strength one last time? Because the Bible says that there were many Philistines who were there in the temple partying, just having a big party because they had captured the big strong man of the Jews. And Samson cries out to God one last time, Lord, use me one last time, one last time. And the Spirit of God came upon Samson one last time, and he used the chains that he was connected to these pillars with, and he, and he pulled the pillars down, and the whole temple collapsed. And the Bible says 3,000 Philistines died in that one incident, more than all the Philistines that Samson had slain during his lifetime. And I think to myself again, here's a guy who was not a perfect man by any means, and yet God does not define our lives on the basis of a few sinful choices. God defines our lives on the basis of how much we will keep turning to Him, repenting, and praying to be used by Him. This is Samson. The sum total of his life is not to be defined by the poor choices that he made in the course of his lifetime. And thankfully for us, Our lives are not defined by every sinful choice we made because we serve a Lord who is gracious and forgiving and loving. And what he wants is for us to repent and to humble ourselves and to cry out one more time, Lord, use me. Now, Samson paid the ultimate price in that because he died along with the Philistines. But his final breath was, Lord, use me one last time. Use me and God used him and God can take people in all of our messy, sinful lives and dust us off and forgive us and cleanse us and use us for His glory one last time. All
0: and open doors, jump in and you'll find the cornerstone's your connection run towards your new book of hebrews challenges all believers of jesus to continue to embrace him as the only hope of salvation too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in no one is saved because of jesus and something else it's only jesus there's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin jesus took care of it once and for all And through faith, in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today, studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, Download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you, too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, still you know. you're not a